Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. I'd um, love to plug my book for a second. I usually don't do commercial announcements, but since I've got a book coming out and I ha- and you listeners are connected to this subject, it's um, called Listen, Learn, and Love, Embracing LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. It's, it's at Amazon. It comes out in September. The Kindle version is available now at Amazon. The Kindle version right now is the number one new release in books in the LDS Church, and I won't go through the content of the book, but it's really the same goal as the podcast is to amplify voices of parents that have LGBTQ children that are often receive very helpful personal revelation as parents are received for how to parent their LGBTQ child and many LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, their stories come through in the book. So uh, please check out the book, um, share it with others. It's just it's supportive of the church, but it's also trying to really understand LGBTQ members. One of the LGBTQ members in the book is who is in my po- on the podcast today, Sam Skidmore. Welcome to the podcast, Sam. Thank you for having me back. Do you, did I let you know we had a couple quotes from yours yeah, that made it to the you book? Yeah, um, In fact, uh, well, I don't know if I should get into that right now. Sam was on episode 66 that was recorded in December of 2018. This will be episode 300-something that's going to come out probably early September, late August of 2020. So I like having returning guests to just update them, update you on their lives. And let me just give you an overview of Sam. Sam um, went to BYU, got a degree in psychology. He served a mission in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, um, speaking Haitian and Creole. Haitian Creole. Haitian Creole. Yeah. That's the same language, mm-hmm. not two languages. Yeah. Um, had a great mission, came back and taught at the MTC, taught that language at the MTC. Um, as I think I mentioned at the start of the podcast, Sam is gay. And Sam has gradually stepped away from the church and resigned from the church at the beginning of 2019. And why would I have somebody that's resigned from the church on the podcast, a church that I love, support, and sustain? And it's just part of the podcast platform is to build bridges of understanding between people in the church, between people that have left the church, between people that have never been members of the church. I see Sam as my spiritual brother, um, the same heavenly parents. And so I, Sam just continues to be somebody that's my friend. He's part of the same human family. He's got a life focused on um, getting a PhD in clinical psychology at Utah State and then dedicating himself to a teaching profession and also a clinical work with LGBTQ people. So Sam is going to help and heal a lot of people. Um, So I just wanted you to hear Sam's story, especially how we navigate the differences between us. Um, There's a lot of differences between Sam and I, but there's an awful lot that we have in common. And with the divisive world out there and um, fear-mongering, I'm trying to bring guests on board like Sam that help us find common ground and maintain friendships and family circle. And I think that brings a smile to Heavenly Father as he sees his children doing the best they can to come together even in their differences. Um, is that an okay for an introduction, Sam? Yes, that was beautiful. Thank you. Um, Sam has a British accent. Tell us why <laughs> you have a British accent, Sam. I, believe it or not, was born in England. Um, so I was born and raised in Manchester, England. Moved here when I was about eight. So wasn't there very long, but I guess the accent stuck for whatever reason. It's interesting that you're, how old are you, Sam? I'm 24, five. I'm 25. 25. And so it's interesting that... You've learned another language, maybe even more, but that eight years in Manchester, England, sort of hardwired you for having a British accent. I don't know if you're trying to get rid of it. Don't. (laughs) I served my mission in Manchester, and so I have obviously have a soft spot for that accent and just flash of memories come back from my own mission way back in 1980 in Manchester. And I was there long enough to pick up different dialects, if that's the right word, between Mm -hmm. Liverpool and Manchester and London. And it took a while to kind of sort all that out. But and that's long since passed. Um, Let's start with update us. You got a degree from uh, psychology at BYU. You had a professor, Professor Don Wood, that I've spoken to her classes. She's a big fan of yours. 
um, really believes in you, and I know you you had a good experience in her class. Yeah, absolutely. And um, talk about just um, update us on your education. Yeah, so I guess since the last podcast, I finished my last semester at BYU, graduated in psychology um, with the intent to go and get a PhD in clinical and counseling psychology. Um, I ended up going for my master's first, so I moved to Arizona last year, last summer, and I was there just for a year doing their counseling psychology program, so I started seeing clients, um, doing little counseling sessions, and it was really good. It was a very positive experience. Loved Arizona. Um, I, while I was there, my advisor, I told him my ultimate career goals to end up teaching at a university and to hopefully have guess a side practice where I could counsel LGBT Mormon youth or LDS youth. Um, and he, I guess, was in contact with Tyler, who was on your podcast, I think end of July. And yeah, so I started working with Tyler virtually. He was at Tennessee at the time. And we were doing research together about LGBT LDS issues. And then I got a random phone call from him in January and he said, hey, I just got a job at Utah State teaching, um, so you should come interview, and if it works out, you know, you can join my lab and just start your PhD a year early, which is an incredible opportunity. He's doing exactly what I want to do in the future, so it's funny how it all works out, but I feel like I'm on the best path to get to where I want to go. Talk about how long a PhD takes until we call you Dr. Skidmore. (laughs) Yeah. So it's usually six years, uh, five years of classwork and clinical work, and then a year of just internship. I Since I did a year of my master's, it'll just be five years for me. Just five years? <laughs> just a small five years. So this is roughly when you turn 30. Yeah. Talk about when you're 30. Talk about is there a feeling for where you want to teach or what subjects you want to teach and where you want to live ge- geographically and where yeah. you want to set up your practice? Um, I think... Professor Wood, you were talking about at BYU, the psychology of gender teacher. She, I guess, bit me with the bug of um, teaching psychology of gender, very interested in sexual minority, gender minority issues. So it seems like a good fit class-wise to teach. Um, But honestly, anything psychology, I would be very happy teaching. I just find it very fascinating, trying to understand people, why they do things, what's going on inside. Um... In terms of geographic location, it's difficult. I, When Tyler told me that I could come and interview at Utah State, I was very hesitant at first just because I'd moved out of Utah, um, and I felt a lot healthier, to be honest, just, I guess, getting out of that culture for a bit and just my mind. I think I had a set Sam that lived in Utah in my mind, and so to get away from that was really good. Um, but since being back, at least so far, it's been a very positive experience. People in Logan, very friendly. So I don't know. I, it's still in the back of my mind. I don't see myself living in Utah long term. But I also want to work with LGBT LDS individuals. So Utah also seems like a very good place to do that. Talk about how much do you want to set up your own practice, kind of a one-man shop, or do you want to set up a practice with multiple therapists. Yeah. So I think since the goal is to teach at a university level, that would mean I would have students under me, um, mentees. So it would be really, really cool to get people who have similar interests to work in a clinic with me. So if I were to set up an LGBT LDS clinic, even at the university, then the students that I'd be advising would also, if they'd like, be able to come in and and get some experience there with counseling and offering therapy services to LGBT LDS people. So, I don't know. It's a very nice vision in my mind. I'm open to see what happens. I like that you have a really, even in that podcast we did in December of 2018, I believe that's pretty much your focus back then. Yeah. When I meet somebody your age, 24, 25, I think it's a gift that you kind of feel, I call it, I sometimes use the analogy of you get dropped in a swimming pool at 21, 22, and it's foggy, and you can't see the sides, and the sides represent um, 
safety if you're in the swimming pool, for example, but the sides also represent your career mm-hmm. and sort of finding your career. And I think sometimes some get thrown in the swimming pool and there's no fog. And at age 18, well, now I'm saying you get thrown in the swimming pool early. They just know exactly where to swim and they're laser focused. I'm going to be a knee surgeon <laughs> and they become a knee surgeon. But I think most in their early 20s just have a feeling of what direction to swim. And I think sometimes the principle is you just start moving and the fog gradually lifts, you get to the side. And so I, I think you're, you've obviously got a lot of momentum in this direction. You've been moving in this direction and and to have a, a master's year under your belt and a psychology degree and now be in a PhD program, that's a big, that's a big amount of progress. You're, you know, still a young guy at 25. So um, to have Tyler Lefevre, Tyler, I think I say your name Lefevre. I'm sometimes bad at remembering last names. So I'm calling you Tyler Lefevre. He's on an earlier podcast. And um, I'm glad you have somebody like Tyler. Talk about anything else you want to update our listeners on, um, Clint, on your career? Um, I think that's mostly it for now. A lot of what I'm doing as of right now is just research-based. So I'm trying to get a better understanding of sexual minorities, gender minorities, and how, um, especially within the LDS church, how the different activity levels are affecting mental health outcomes. Uh, I just finished a study on belongingness. So just trying to see if LGBT youth, or not youth, just individuals who felt like they belonged in the LDS church versus in the LGBT community, or both or neither, how their mental outcomes were, um, which was very, it didn't do what I thought it would do. (laughs) But it's been interesting to kind of look more into the positive side of LGBT LDS development and see, oh, people, even if they are in a religion that isn't necessarily affirming of their sexuality, they still, if they feel like they belong there, can have very positive mental health outcomes. Um, So, yeah, it's been really interesting so far. I want to keep digging a bit deeper into what's going on there, what can be especially beneficial for these people, and how to navigate both sides if that's what they choose, and if not, how to best choose a side. I think research is our friend. I think science is our friend. Mm-hmm. Um, I, back to this, I don't know if it fits with a swimming pool analogy. I think it's mm-hmm. part of clearing the fog. If you're L- LDS and LGBTQ, I've never thought of this, and you're in the middle of that swimming pool trying to figure out your path forward, not a career path, but just your path forward. Right. Um, there's a lot of fog, and as you know firsthand, Sam, and so... I've always felt that research is helpful, the science is helpful to know why you're gay. And right. And um, my book talks about false state- statements on why you're gay. And one of them we came up on Twitter this morning was because you're a victim of, of sexual abuse as a child. And you, yeah. you wrote in on that one. Share with our listeners why, that's a, why you believe um, that's a false statement. Right. I remember reading it. Um, it's... I don't know. I don't pretend to know everything, um, especially from a research perspective. I'm very new. Um, So with most things, I typically just relate it to my own experience first. Um, And I know that I, like, that is not the case with me. I am not gay because I was a victim of sexual violence, sexual abuse. Um, I just am gay. And I think it's much more important not to realize why we're gay, but just to know what to do with it, to say, okay... I am gay. The causes may not matter. What matters, at least for me right now, is how to move forward with being gay and how to have healthy relationships with family, with friends, and ultimately with a significant other. It's a really thoughtful answer. Talk in any way, encourage our listeners. That's just one of the false statements that came up on Twitter this morning. Um, And one of my followers, Calvin Burke, talked about how that's not, you know, how that's a painful thing for a gay person to be told that you're gay because of sexual abuse. I think it dismisses. And so I think before straight people make that assumption, you need to listen to a lot of gay people address that and look at the science. And just before we start creating opinions, we need to just be humble enough to listen to gay people, lesbian people, trans people. Talk about um, just your decision to resign from the church. Yeah, so it actually, 
was New Year's Day of 2019 is when I officially sent in the paperwork. Um, I think, I mean, it had definitely been in my mind for a while. Um, I hadn't been going to church really for that most of 2018. Um, I just had found that when I went, I typically left feeling worse than before, um, which is not the purpose of church. And it's very, not to say that church is a bad thing for sexual minorities. I think just where I was at the time, it wasn't helping me. So yeah, taking that year and kind of distancing myself a bit, I realized that my experiences weren't, I guess, enough to have a testimony of the church. I don't pretend, again, to know if the church is true or not. I don't discount other people's experiences, but for myself, I could never honestly say that I had a testimony in the church itself and its teachings. Um, and so the decision honestly was fairly easy when it came down to it of I've been a lot happier and healthier since I took a step back. Um, it was really important to me, first of all, not to just leave because I was gay and I wanted to go and like start going on dates with men. Um, and it was also important that I didn't leave feeling angry or bitter against the church. So I did take time. Um, and ultimately when I did officially resign from the church, it wasn't like a, a harrowing experience for me. It was just like a, I clicked send and then I just went on with my day. So I am very, very appreciative of the church and what it did for me. I do think it can work for a lot of people. Um, it just wasn't working for me. And I was, I guess, in tune with that. And it took a while to, I guess, push aside other people's expectations of me um, and the thoughts of, even though you're gay, like the church is for everybody. Um, it's fine to have whatever belief you'd like, but that wasn't my experience. And so... I finally allowed myself to do what I felt was best for me, and it's been very good. Are you glad you were in the church? 100%. Why? Um, I just, I guess I can't imagine growing up with a different set of values. Um, the church definitely is not without flaws, um, and I think there were some negative aspects that I carried with me, but for the most part, it was a very positive experience growing up. I just love the idea of a group of people coming together who recognize that they're not perfect and who want to get better. And so growing up with that idea and also with a family who was very close-knit, um, I feel like a lot of that was a product of the church, of family should be close together, we should be loving, we should be caring, we should always try to help people. I just love those messages. I think the church has a lot of beautiful aspects. Um, and it is unfortunate that I feel it didn't work for me. Um, but at the same time, that doesn't mean none of it is for me. There are still aspects that I carry around with me, even though I don't fully believe in the church overall. Is there a loss that you feel um, just because you've, you've given so much and this mm -hmm. has been such a part of your life? You spent two years in Florida. That's, a, you know, that we didn't pay you to go to Florida. You did right. that. Um, and you've paid tithing and you've served in leadership callings. Mm -hmm. So you've given a lot. Just help our listeners understand what it feels like then to feel like your path is no longer to be able to be a part of that community or, or someone like you, a sexual minority, to use your um, language, is not fully welcome or fully have a... I don't know what the right vocabulary is. Because right. for some, they do feel fully welcome, feel like that's their path. Mm -hmm. Share with our listeners that just your thoughts on that? Yeah, it definitely, I mean, it is a sad thing that this church that does do a lot of good and teaches a lot of good, that it, I felt it didn't quite have a place for me. Um, and I think it's easy for people with a place to say, oh, everyone has a place here. Um, but again, that just was not my experience. Um, and so there was a sense of loss when I received word back that I had officially my records had been removed. Um, yeah, I think maybe a, a small mourning period of just, this is who I was for so long, and now it's it's not anymore. Um, I was surprised, especially talking to other people in similar situations. It seemed like there was a lot greater sense of loss for a lot of other people and of grieving. 
And for whatever reason, I didn't necessarily have that. Um, I feel like I skipped some steps that people commonly experience when leaving the church. I never really felt angry or bitter. And I didn't necessarily feel sad about it. I just, it felt empty for maybe a week. And then I realized that my life is still going on and that I still can carry whatever beliefs I choose to and that helped me be a better person. So did you, did you tell your family, do you want to talk about your mom or your siblings and how they responded there? And just, I believe they're active LDS. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so my whole immediate family in Utah here is active LDS. And I don't know if I ever like sat down and had an official conversation of, I've left the church. We definitely had conversations about my being gay, um, and that was difficult. It was back when I was 21. Those were hard times just for me because it's the first time I ever was fully vulnerable with my family. Um, but since then, first of all, it gave me great experience um, and practice being vulnerable and realizing how much they loved me. And it just like, it wasn't necessarily our relationship is Sam is straight or Sam is in the church. It's our relationship is I love you just because I love you. Um, so they're definitely all aware that I'm no longer in the church. Um, I did have some difficult conversations with my mother. Um, and it's not that she took it poorly. It's just, it is, again, that, that grief, that loss feeling. I think especially as a parent, it's really difficult from an LDS perspective to see somebody, especially a child, leave the church because there's this whole idea of families are eternal and if you leave the church, then our family is not necessarily going to be together forever in heaven. So I very much, I understand and I respect that. Um, it didn't make the conversations any easier. But when it comes down to it, I think my mother and I have learned how to set boundaries with each other. Um, and there's always just an underlying, with my whole family, just this underlying respect and love. So I think no matter what happens... It's just, I know it's going to be okay. I know that we're all going to bounce back from whatever because the love is more important than anything else. Do you have any regrets um, how you handled it with your family and that sort of giving you, do you have any advice to others that are, that are going to do what you're going to do that are listening and just want to not hurt family relationships and they care so much about their family this, that they don't, they don't want to do anything to hurt anybody. Yeah, I have a lot of advice, <laughs> lots of thoughts. Um, I actually have a couple of close friends who are going through it right now, so I've had some conversations. I think from the LGBT individual side or a person just considering leaving the church, um, one of the most important lessons that I learned that I wish I'd learned sooner was that you don't have to set yourself on fire to keep other people warm. Like, it's not your job to hurt, to make other people feel better. Um, which it's hard for me even still, cause you have this underlying voice in my head that says, oh, it's selfish to think of yourself first. Um, but I don't think that's true. I think it's important and necessary for you to take care of yourself first because you can never lift someone else above where you are. So I guess my overall advice would be take care of yourself and do what is best for you while still being loving and respectful to your family. I do wish that I'd told them things sooner. Um, I just was too anxious, and I had a lot of ideas in my head of, oh, they're going to react this way, and it's going to be really bad. Um, and while like not all reactions were perfect, none of them were what I thought they'd be in a very good way. Um, so I wish that I'd give them them more benefit of the doubt, but I also, it's not like that for everyone. So take your time if needed, make sure you think things through, um, but ultimately do what's best for you. And if that is taking a step back from the church or if that is coming out to your family, like these are very big steps, definitely make sure you're certain, but also if that's what you need to do, then that's what you need to do. And if your family loves you, then they ultimately we'll be okay with that, even if it's rough for a bit. Any advice if there's parents listening that reckon that this is happening right now in their family or they're recognizing this could happen, they're active LDS parents, and this is obviously something they didn't want to have happen, but it's That's sort right. of the reality of what's happening in their family. Any advice for parents? Yeah. 
um, therapy, <laughs> I think for anyone, um, and I'm obviously biased because of my profession, but I, parents have this, I guess, idea that they need to be perfect for their children all the time. Um, and that's not realistic because things are going to be messy sometimes and you don't know what you're going to say. You don't know what to do, how to react. And I think therapy or even a close friend or somebody, a confidant, it's important to have a place where you can get out all of your thoughts and be messy so that you don't have to do that with your child. And so that when you are with your child and you're having the conversations, you've sorted things out and you can say, I love you. Like, it doesn't matter to me what sexuality you are. I, like, I love you and that's all that matters. And we can move forward together, even if dynamics are different, even if we need to set new boundaries. What's most important is that I love you. Um, so that would be my main advice, definitely. Um, and also to be patient with yourself. I think I was kind of impatient with my family at the very beginning when I first came out because I had expected them to just be okay with it all. Um, but that's not realistic either because it took me, I mean, over 10 years to be okay with it for myself. So it's okay to take time. It's okay to process things. Um, and you shouldn't feel bad for needing that time, but also in the same vein, recognize that this is your child and this is a human being and they deserve love and respect as much as you do. So staying open-minded, trying to keep everything respectful and loving, I don't see how anything could go wrong if people look at things through that lens. Do you want your family to leave the church? No. <laughs> I think my family, I mean, obviously... Everybody's different everywhere. But from what I've seen, at least with my family, it brings them a lot of happiness. It brings them meaning and purpose. It helps them to be better. And that's wonderful. Like, I wish that I could be in their spot sometimes. Um, but no, I think the church works really well for them. Um, yeah, I wouldn't... It's not my desire to make people leave the church. Um, it's just I want everyone to be happy and healthy with where they are, and the church does that for my family, so I don't see an issue there. Thanks for answer just be willing to talk about complicated stuff. Of course. Um, I think your personality leans to that, your personal journey and your skill set. Um, so I think all of our listeners get insights to the type of therapist you're going to be and the type of um, what am I calling you when you're teaching classes a professor? Yeah, professor. <laughs> um, I like those answers, and they're just complicated. Um, but I like that we're willing to talk about it. Talk, yeah. And I, you made a point there that you have been processing the potential of leaving the church for a long time, and you've obviously right. been processing being gay for a long time. And, mm -hmm. and, and sometimes parents have a much shorter time to process that. And I like yeah. your suggestions to parents to go slow to get community to recognize that you, you, often gay kids on been on this road longer than you have and you've got to go through the stages um, that they've kind of gone through right. and so sometimes that creates some tension is just the differences there other thoughts on anything we've talked about so far you want to go back to or expand on um not that i can think of it's i don't know i feel like i talk a lot but it all comes back to this idea of just if everybody were willing to be open-minded, like to listen, not with the intent to rebuttal, but just to understand and then to show love, I feel like that would fix all of these issues. In this book that I've written, I've chapter 10 is called When a Family M Member Leaves the Church. And I didn't write that chapter to cause more people to leave the church. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> or hope that more people leave. I, I wrote that chapter to try to keep us together as families because a core part of our church and really society and the strength of America and really the world is strong families. And I don't think that should change. And that's why I'm glad Sam's sharing his story. But um, I like this idea that John Ogden, I'm just going to read a little bit from the chapter. John Ogden coined a term called sad heaven. It's the idea that we mourn now a future outcome. I often talk about, I love the Los Angeles Dodgers and it's me mourning today that they're going to lose in the World Series again in game seven. 
and feeling all that pain now. So for parents, if they have a child that's left the church, they mourn now empty chairs at the table in the next life. Mm-hmm. And I and that's logical. And if you feel that way, I think that's fine. But I think I think we can get to the point where we just leave it at the Savior's feet and focus on things that are in in our control. Um, and that's things like to keep the family circle together. So my brother, um, I quote him in my book, he's a former mission president, stake president, who has adult children who no longer believe in the doctrines of the church. And he's published a book called Ministering Bridges, Ministering to Those with Questions. But this is what he says that um, regarding empty chairs, he says at my house, my wife and I still talk about no empty chairs, but we also talk about having no empty chairs at the dinner table around the pool, on a vacation, at their life events, and in all the chairs from our children's lives. So I love that he's focused on things that we do as parents that are within our control and keep the family circled together. In an article from LDS Living, Dave also um, shares these tips to parents. Don't preach or lecture. Listen, Listen to understand and validate you use words that affirm, don't use labels, accept and love them fully. Remember agency and love our heavenly parents. Take care of yourself. And Pre- President Ballard has said, quote, please don't preach to them. Your family member or friend already knows the church teachings. They don't need another lecture. What they need, what all need, we all need is love and understanding, not judging. Share your positive experiences of living the gospel. Any thoughts on any of that? Yeah, I think that's beautiful. I love that, especially coming from church leadership, there are these messages of you don't need to preach. Like it's not necessarily your job to try and convince people with the doctrine to stay in the church. And I think a lot of people that leave the church, there's this idea that it's because they want to go and like party or sin or go like be gay. And that's not always the case. I think more often than not, it's because they don't believe. Um, And so receiving another lecture on something that they already don't believe in, I think causes more harm than good with the family relationships. And if it's just approached with that love and that acceptance, um, and especially using more positive words instead of labels, I think that's beautiful. I think that would fix a lot of hardship that people experience when they do leave the church. Yeah, I like that, Sam. And um, I don't want to read the whole book over the <laughs> podcast. That's not what I want to start doing in these podcasts. But I've written here, I don't believe saying kind things about those that step away from the church results in more people leaving. Rather, having and expressing empathy for those who separate from the church increases the chance our families and friendships stay together. Um our love for another doesn't be needed to be motivated only by a desire for someone to return to the church. Harper Don Forsgren, a return missionary, tweeted, quote, as we, we as members of the church need to stop focusing on we need to love people because our love will bring them back to the church and instead focus on we need to love people because they deserve to be loved. And so I just, I, I think that's the doctrine of our church, too. I don't think I'm yeah. making up stuff, Sam, and you know the doctrine of our church and the teachings of our church. I don't think I'm compromising anything by just saying I'm going to love people unless you start to... I mean, it's harder for me if your whole mission is to have the church fail, but it's not, obviously, of what you said. Um, or if you're, you know, I mean, join ISIS and want to bomb me. I'm being <laughs> a little flippant now, but... right. Um, and for other our listeners, Elder Gay's talk is another great talk. I, it's footnoted in this book, but um, he basically gave a priesthood blessing to, he's a general authority in our church. He gave a priesthood blessing to his older sister as she was passing away, who was never fully active in the church. And he talked about receiving a spiritual rebuke during that blessing because he only I'll read this. I received a spiritual rebuke from the Spirit. I was made acutely aware of her goodness and allowed to see her as God saw her, not as someone who struggled with the gospel in this life, but as someone who had to deal with difficult issues I did not have. I saw her as a magnificent mother who, described, dis, despite great obstacles, has raised few beautiful, amazing children. 
I saw her as a friend to her mother who took time to watch over her and be a companion to her after our father passed away. During the final evening with my sister, I believe, was God asking me, can you see everyone around you as a sacred being? Have you familiar with that talk? Do you remember that talk at all? Or it's probably, I don't, but it sounds really good. Um, and I don't expect, I'm not going to send you church talks to read. I know that probably isn't helpful at this point in your life. Uh, it's more helpful to hear your story and talk about your career and the things you're doing, contributing versus send you a conference talk. But I think what Elder Gay is, is seeing is let's don't always define people by their church activity. Because um, we may miss seeing them the way Heavenly Father sees people. And it may put us at more peace just to be at peace with people in the church, out of the church, that have never joined the church, as we just kind of go to the 40,000-foot level and see everybody as um, these words, you know, God asking me, can't you see that everyone around you is a sacred being? Mm-hmm. So any thoughts on any of that? Yeah, I agree with all of it. Um, I think it is truly not a church doctrine issue. It's more a cultural thing that sometimes makes it harder for people who have left or are leaving. Um, I received a lot of really good messages um, because I used to have a blog as well where I would talk about my journey. Um, So good messages, and I also received some poor messages that I think were well-intentioned. But it goes back to this idea of, I love you, but, or I love you, even though you're doing this. And that at its core is not full love, I guess. It's very conditional love of I love you when you're in the church or when you're doing things that I agree with. Um, And that's not what love is or what it should be. So I think when we're able to recognize that and take a step back and say, okay, well, the God that I believe in gave us two great commandments above all others, which is to love God and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And so even though there are all these other doctrines and policies, what comes first should be love. And so is what I'm doing, is that furthering love or is that just causing contention and trying to get people to see things the way that I see them? So I think those are beautiful messages. I'm very glad church leadership is saying that. And I hope that it sticks more and that the more negative messages that I've received and that people receive will be less and less moving forward. That's really good comments. I've heard love the sin, hate the sinner, and I just think there's a judgment in there that isn't consistent with my responsibility as a rank-and-file member. Yeah, definitely. And so I look at what you just said, love the Lord with all thy heart, love thy neighbor as thyself, as the doctrine there, and and not to sort of have, you know, just because you're my spiritual brother, I should just love you right. um, and support you. And I, I also believe that as 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 I say, as I'm kind to people that have stepped away from the church, I, I wonder if I'm less, increase the likelihood they don't become angry and bitter. Because um, I recognize it, the things I say can create pain in you, Sam. And pain is a primary emotion from what I've been taught from mm-hmm. people with your expertise that leads to a secondary emotion like anger. Right. Um, but to sort of take help do my responsibility to decrease the amount of pain that you feel um, hopefully helps people feel less angry and that benefits that individual person obviously and maybe benefits just the tone they take that you're taking is the church is didn't work for me but I'm not asking everybody to leave I'm not asking every LGBTQ person to leave I don't want is that just as how does that feel to you yeah I think it's very open-minded to have that mindset. Um, and it's, I think when I was in the church, I was very all or nothing of this is the full truth. And there's like no other full truth out there. And I toyed with the idea of doing that when I left as well of the church is not the truth. And like my experiences are the full truth for everyone. Um, but it's, it's all the same issue of, How can you properly love somebody like that? Um, And how can I talk about what's best for somebody else? Because I truly don't know. So when we come to realize that and just learn to be respectful, to let people live their lives for them, even if we want to offer advice, like it's fine to give advice. I love advice. Um, I don't love when people try to tell me what's best for me or tell me what's right and what's wrong. 
when they don't know my life and what I'm going through. So I like it all. It just, it always comes back to this idea of love for me. And it's just, if it's not furthering love, then it's not the best course of action. Talk about just some, talk about when people leave the church, some people then they have a hard time believing in God and some people that leave the church still believe in God. Share with our listeners any that you'd like to about how you feel about God. Yeah. Um, so again, just my experience. Um, I think leaving the church, it's, it can be quite difficult to know what to believe in. Um, cause I was born and raised in the church. And so I was always told these are the things we believe. These are the things we don't believe. And I just had that. And I never really had to seek it out for myself. Um, like they say, read the scriptures, pray to know if this is true. Um, but it's all kind of a big bundle deal of this is all true or it's not. And so when I decided that for myself, I didn't believe that it was all true. I kind of started from nothing again. And it was just, okay, I don't know if this bundle is true. So let's just start with these sticks. And I kind of just searched my own experiences and my thoughts and my feelings, starting out with God, obviously, because I feel like that's very, very fundamental in religion, spiritual spheres. Um, and to be honest, for myself, I'm not entirely sure if there is a God. I, I think I've told you this before, but I would love to believe that there is a God. I don't know. I'm not sure if I believe, but I would like to believe that there is a God, that there's a purpose, and that this God or this being, whatever it may be, um, is loving and like has a plan, wants what's best. I just think that's a beautiful idea. And honestly, even if it's not true, I think it's still a good way to see the world. At least it is for me. So I see how it's difficult for people leaving the church to reconcile all of their beliefs. Um, and again, I would ask people to be patient because I told people that I'm not sure where I am with God and they're usually very shocked and like a bit disturbed by that, which isn't the reaction I would love to get. I, you're familiar with this phrase, deconstruction, reconstruction. Yeah. Will you define that for our listeners? Yeah, I think deconstructing is just breaking everything down. So you have this, if you had a table and you deconstruct it, you're taking apart all of the pieces and then you can reconstruct it into the same thing. You can put them together in different ways. Um, for myself, when I left the church, all those pieces came apart. Um, and right now I'm still deciding how I want to put them back together. I think I'm looking more into how they all would potentially fit together first. Um, but I do want to construct something that is beneficial for my life, that is consistent with the values that I have and the goals that I have, and that can help me make a difference to other people. That's helpful. Um, if our list, One of the best podcasts I've ever had on this deconstruction, reconstruction is Brother Jared Halverson, a U of U Institute instructor. That's episode 259. I got some wonderful insights from him of just he's worked with a lot of Latter-day Saints in a faith crisis and sort of walking them through this deconstruction, reconstruction. And mm -hmm. it's a pretty normal thing. And I love that you're not you're using absolute terms right now for your relationship with God. Right. If I it would be interesting, I just hypothetical, let's say I were an YSA bishop in Logan. <laughs> you wouldn't show up in my roles because you're not a member. But right. let's just say I I'm just role-playing if, let's just say I became aware of you and you felt comfortable enough to meet me. You may, even in the bishop's office, you felt like I was a safe enough person. This is the probably the conversation. I'd, after spending a lot of time listening and really understanding your road, which might take multiple visits, and I know you well enough now, but if I just had never met you, I probably, I, I wouldn't have done this when I was a YSA bishop the first year, Sam. Mm -hmm. I would have been more, you know, I probably would have given you a lot of conference talks to read, but at the end of that experience, I did a lot more listening and really felt like my job was to get on your road and understand the story that led you to your road. I've always felt the lost sheep, the shepherd, and I don't want to call you a lost sheep. He just knew where the one that was lost, the backstory of where they left and where to find them. Right. And so that to me is a principle of ministering that I need to know the backstory that brought you to where you are now 
um, somebody who's resigned from the church. So anyway, but at that point, um, I probably wouldn't have a conversation about your return to the church, but I'd probably talk to you about your relationship with God. And uh, and, I, and if you, and I'd probably let you set the agenda. I'd say, Sam, can I, how can I help you? Mm-hmm. What can I do to help you as an adult in your life? You set the agenda and I'll walk with you, unless it's a activist road or I'm joking again about you want to join ISIS, but can I help you in your career? Can I help you, you know, in any way? But I, if you were open to, I want to, I want to improve my relationship with God, or I want to, how would you, how would you respond to that? Right now? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think honestly right now I'm very comfortable with where I am. I, and that's fine. Yeah. I would love to understand more about spirituality, how it all works. And, and at the same time, I don't feel a pressing need to. I feel like the way that I'm living my life currently is very healthy for me and for other people. I feel like I'm able to help other people. I have a really good understanding of who I am. I'm much healthier than I've been before. And I'm not saying that learning more about God or understanding more about any religion would make that worse. It's just not necessarily a priority for me right now. It's an honest answer. Mm-hmm. So hopefully I'd res- if I'm back role-playing now, I'd respect right. that answer and say, Sam, I respect you. And if you feel different and want to continue to talk about God or your relationship with God or feel like that door is opening where I feel like I'm in a position now I want to f- have more of a relationship with God, then you would, then I'd probably say, just let me know. Mm-hmm. But, you know, let's continue just to visit every now and then at lunch or just keep me updated on your life and and the things that you'd like to talk about, which is probably how your PhD is going and the type of research you're doing and what you're finding in your life. Right. I'd probably ask you about, if you wanted to talk about it, tell me about who you're dating. I would ask anybody about their personal life, the things that are important to them, um, if you would be comfortable talking about that. To me, that's just showing you respect as a fellow yeah. human. It's not about me judging you or trying to redirect you. It's about me just be willing to hear the things that are important in your life if I'm your friend. I think that's wonderful. Um, I wish that I would have had more of those kinds of experiences when I was in the church. Um, and I don't know if that would have made a difference overall with church activity, but just having that church leader who obviously is in a position of authority over you, but also is just a friend and isn't necessarily pushing an agenda and just wants you to be happy. I think that's skills that we all should try and garner. Yeah. I love this principle of self-determination that to me is very, very much a similar principle to, to, to personal revelation or personal agency. At the end of the day, you have to decide your path. Yeah. And my job is to try to put down and try just to support you and trust you. Um, I think that's just as I meet with LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, that's just the constant impression I get is to trust them um, to do the very best they can and just trust their feelings about their future and support them. And if they want advice or want specific suggestions, I think they're more open to that if I create a spirit of I trust you and I really want to know what's going on in your life and I want to know the hopes of your heart um, I want to know just what you feel your path is and what your hopes of your heart are other th- other things you'd like to share with our listeners Ooh. Um, I think we've covered the main things I would say especially to LGBT people who are navigating faith whatever it may be, and just to anybody, honestly. The thing that's helped me the most within the past year, year and a half, is just this concept of belongingness, I guess. I don't know if you're familiar with Brene Brown. Yeah. Um, she writ- wrote a book. Braving she has written wilder- a book. Yeah, yeah. a few of them. <laughs> she wrote a book called Braving the Wilderness. Um, I actually got a tattoo of it because I'm, I'm a big fan. And it's a constant reminder to me because the whole idea is when you're brave enough to belong to yourself, um, then you are able to belong anywhere else and nowhere. So um, every time I look down, I just 
I still need that reminder of it's it's okay to not feel like you belong where you are, but when that's happening, it's most likely because you don't feel like you belong to yourself. And so that's something that I focus on, that I work on a lot is I'm comfortable with who I am, and if I'm not, then there's something I need to do to become comfortable with who I am. And once that happens, it doesn't matter what people say, it doesn't matter what people believe or if they're being negative toward me because I belong to myself, so I belong anywhere I want to. That's really, I love what she teaches on belonging, but that's been mostly, as I've talked about in these podcasts and even the book, creating a spirit of belonging in our faith community and in our family. And this is my favorite quote you're familiar with. Fitting in is about assessing a situation and sort of becoming who we need to be to be accepted. Belonging doesn't right. require us to change who we are. It requires us to be who we are. Love that. And But I sort of use that in the context of we need to create a better feeling of belonging for LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, which I'm sure you would agree with. But I love what you just said that is totally within your control is this feeling of belonging you're creating within Sam Skidmore. Mm -hmm. Just talk again about that, that, just so our listeners understand what you just said. Yeah. Um, I think it is a very necessary human experience to belong somewhere. We all need social support if we want any form of happiness. Um, and that all begins with belonging to yourself. Um, it's great to belong in a group, and I would love for LGBT, LGBT people to feel like they belong more in church spheres if that's what they choose. Um, for myself, I've recognized that the only entity that I can fully belong to and have full control over is myself. And so I always work on belonging to myself, saying internally, it's okay to be me. It's okay to have these thoughts and these feelings. It's okay to have whatever experiences I'm happening or I'm having because that's what's happening because that's who I am. And once you are comfortable, once you have that level of self-acceptance, then you can fully belong in other places as well and help other people feel like they belong. And that's within your control. 100%. I like things that we can do that are within our control that help us feel better. And there's a lot of things in the world right now that are not in our control that create a lot of difficult emotional feelings. We're in the middle of COVID. People are isolated. Right. We're in the middle of a political campaign, um, president election in the United States that's in a lot of ways, maybe it's typical of every presidential election. There's just a lot of divisiveness in there. There's some of that within our own faith, our own culture. And so I like things that bring us together and give us hope and healing. I thought this morning on my walk, I I thought... I, I, for everybody that's in a political party, I hope that you're feeling that you're not there and it's creating fear for you of the other side. You're there because it creates hope for you with the things that that political party stands for. And I think that's even true of faiths, that I hope you're in your faith because it brings you hope and healing um, and not because it brings you fear of the other side or how bad right. the world is. True, the world is going downhill, and Satan, I believe, is real. But I think our, my faith, um, one of the reasons in my faith, is if I really own the doctrine of my church at the 40,000-foot level, I don't have much fear mm -hmm. because I just see everybody as the same human family, and I don't worry about anybody's eternal salvation because I believe in loving heavenly parents that want to do everything they can to get someone back to them because they love you, just like I love my own kids. Right. And so I don't have a lot of fear. Um, and I just think fear is, I do believe that's one of Satan's greatest tools is to d accelerate. Elder Uchtdorf talks about accelerating and dwelling on the evils of the world to create fear. And I think we do that sometimes in our own faith and certainly in political parties, not everybody in every political party, but you can be in a political party and just stand on its own merits without having to create so much fear about the badness of the other political party. Right. So I love what you're teaching about belonging. I have a little visual here, Sam, and we'll probably close this podcast pretty soon in it. It's a bunch of round pegs going into round holes, and that represents all the straight members of the church and their ability to, to belong. Right. 
And then there's one square peg in this visual that is a square peg, and, and it's trying to fit in the round hole, and it's splintering on the corners. Yeah. Because that person is pounding themselves into that round hole, and our culture is. And the splintering on the represents just the stress that you felt as a gay member of our church. And and we used to teach that you could become a round peg, Sam. Right. <laughs> and so it was all on you to just... But the, the for those of you that are trying to do better, I think we need to create a culture for that there's square holes there. It's not Sam's responsibility to become a round peg. It's our responsibility to create a better feeling of belonging for those of of our LGBTQ members that want to stay in the church. Um, it's sort of on us to create square pegs. And some would argue that our doctrine needs to change. And I talk about that in the book a little bit. I, I'm not campaigning for our doctrine to change. I, I know some wish that I would, and I'm not a good ally if I'm not, but I support and sustain our leaders in our doctrine. But I do believe there's more work that need to be done. And I leave that up to our leaders to figure that out. And I don't know Heavenly Father's will and, but I do think things thing, I do think we can do things at the local level in our families to create create more square holes so that our LGBTQ members feel valued and needed and included. Um, but that's sort of on us. And then if someone feels that you know it isn't their path, I think we try to do what we're trying to do in this podcast and what Sam's doing, family's doing with Sam and friends is we just support people and and live the law of of the gospel of, of, that Christ taught. I'm doing too much talking now, Sam. Any thoughts on any of that? <laughs> I love that. I uh, had, I guess, brief flashbacks while you were talking about the pegs to my time in the church and to, I guess, a lot of shame and internal just worrying of I don't fit in, like everyone's saying that I should fit in, but it's just not working for whatever reason. And I think it's so powerful to share statements like that and to have members who are actively trying to get square holes for these pegs to go into. Um, because there are a lot of LGBT people who would like to stay in the church and it's just so difficult for them to be mentally healthy there because they're trying to be something that they're not. They're trying to fit into just a space that isn't necessarily inviting for them. And that's something that is within our control. And like doctrine doesn't need to change for people to feel like they have a space in the church. Um, and also if the peg then decides not to try to fit into the space anymore, to still give them that love and that it's okay to be you. Like you still belong with us as people, even if you feel like you don't belong with us as a church or as an organization. I think there's so much power there. So very good message. I think there's a lot of hope moving forward. And I think about, so listeners say, what can I do to create a square peg? And I think the bar is pretty low. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things is just to quit the gay jokes. And, you know, there's a culture, Charlie Bird in his book talks about this. I um, Just the jokes he heard um, as Cosmo. Um, right. And just people like him being talked about in a negative way and that being permissible somehow in our culture. Um, I talk in Chapter 7 in the book, Ministering to LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, an elder minor. Um, let me use this story. He's a missionary and his father and I are friends. He grew up in the Bay Area and has a pretty healthy view of LGBTQ people, pretty kind guy. and. Mm -hmm. He's on his mission in Oklahoma City, and the mission president, who I happen to know, Darren Mansell, asks, what can we do to improve the mission culture? Good question. And Elder Minor raises his hand and says, stop the gay jokes. And President Mansell says, you're right. If that's part of our culture, that is not what Christ would want. Right. And Elder Minor talks about we lived a higher, holier law going forward. And another way to look at that is there's probably closeted missionaries in that mission. Oh, always. <laughs> you know this. Yeah. And a feeling that you create a square peg when you stop the gay jokes. Um, that's not something we should be doing. We shouldn't be finding common enemy intimacy as a Brene Brown. Right. Where we find common enemies that sort of bring us together and we take on, we make gay jokes and we all laugh and we kind of bond together and it connects us, but it's not the holier, higher law that Christ wants us to live. Right. Well, it's not true connection either. It's just not true connection. having a common enemy. 
And tell us why that's not true connection. Um, I think to base a relationship with somebody off of your hatred or dislike of someone else, I don't think that's a strong enough foundation to be able to grow a proper relationship where you two actually are getting things from each other besides fostering more hate. Um, and there's, there's plenty of hate. There's plenty of negativity in the world. There's a lot of kindness and goodness too. So I don't know. It's in my mind, at least it's a very easy choice of why not foster positivity? Why not build a better connection with someone as well? It's so easy. I love that. So chapter seven has more stories like that of just um, things that we can do better and some really wonderful experiences. Uh, Mistake President, President Fersh and the Long Long Beach East Stake had a gay member of his stake, Michael Seacrest, speak. Um, Just a powerful moment in that stake conference and the interaction that those two had with each other. I'll tell one little story as some of you will know, a stake president, when he sits on the stand, has his two counselors usually next to him. And Michael Seacrest, who was getting ready to come out as gay to the whole stake, was was seated next to one of the counselors. And the stake president was so perceptive. This is President Fersh. And he could see, and this guy's a, a physician. He's in his early 30s, so he's a professional physician. Um, pretty seasoned, capable guy. He could see how nervous he was. So he actually traded seats with his counselor and just sat next to Michael. Um, And Michael gave a great talk, and then the president, stake president was speaking last. Um, And they traded, they just crossed paths at the foyer, both walking, and guess what? The the stake president just stopped and bear-hugged Michael. Oh, I love that. And so if I'm sitting in that, I was in that meeting... But if I'm sitting in that stake, what kind of a message does that send to me about President Fersh? So let's say I need to talk about something kind of complicated in my life. What kind of a message does that send to me about the kind of priesthood leader he is and my ability to open up to him about whatever I need to talk to? Mm-hmm. And if I'm a bishop in that stake or a young woman's leader, what kind of an example does that create for me? So those weren't very big the hurdle, in other words, anybody can do what President First did or what President Mansell did or Elder Minor did. Right. And it just creates, you know, we're just making that round circle a little square. And so people can feel like President First just talks about he wants to create Zion in the Long Beach East Stake. And to do that, he wants everybody to feel welcome. And that includes all the marginalized groups that probably feel like they're square pegs. Mm-hmm. Um, and being willing to sort of sit with them and hear some of that. So um, anyway, just some ideas of what those of you that um, are trying to create better just belonging for LGBTQ members, there's some wonderful examples of things we can do. Any closing thoughts for our listeners, Sam? Yeah, I think just going off of what you just said, there are a lot of low-hanging fruits like just very simple, easy things that members can do to make LGBT people feel more comfortable and feel like they have a space. Um, And even taking it a step further, if you can get the low-hanging fruit, you can probably get some of the harder ones as well. So for me, like it would have made the world if any member of the church, when I was there one week, would just be like, hey, like I know that you identify as gay. How are things going? Like are you dating anyone? And just it's such a taboo topic if anybody had normalized that for me more while I was at church, um, I think that would have made a, a lot of difference in terms of how comfortable I was around the people. Um, cause there's this innate kind of, these people are not like me. Um, we're very different and no one here wants to talk about homosexuality, which is true for a lot of people. And that's totally fine. But if you are comfortable just having a simple conversation, I think that would go a very long way. Just showing someone that you care, that you want to connect with them. It means a lot. It's good. Sam Skidmore, future Dr. Skidmore. <laughs> um, you have a great life ahead of you. You're 25. It'd be fascinating to see where you're at 30, 35, 40. Um, right. You could come on the pod. I don't know if the podcast will last that long. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> but you just have a great life ahead of you and you are going to help and already helping so many people. So keep being you, 
That's thank you. If you were my son or my YSA, I would just, you know, I just say keep being you. I trust you being the very best Sam Skidmore you can be. I think you're doing a great job. You have a, let's just, I mean, you have a career that's largely focused on helping other people um, and wanting to bring them tools that gives them peace in their lives, hope and healing. There is such a need right now for the work that you're doing. I've seen a therapist a couple times in my life and so grateful for her and the things that she taught me that allowed me to better understand, just gave me principles of ministering to understand other people. So thank you and just, I, you know, I hope it's okay. I just pray that you will be continued to be stained and I do believe God exists and has a hand in your life and that he will continue to guide you in, in the beautiful things that you're doing. And Um, Thank you, our listeners, for listening. This is Richard Osler and Sam Skidmore signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. 